Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. Somebody commented to me that, like, I don't did I send you guys this comment? That it was basically the, the narrow slice between religious Zionism and modern orthodoxy, but religious Zionism is much broader, which is a legitimate comment. We have to think more carefully about uh, being, I think, inclusive of other people, but we'll stick with that tagline for now. Uh, I'm here with a rabbi Mali Brodsky. Hello, rabbi Mali. Hello. How are you? I'm Baruch Hashem, doing well. Rabbi Malibravsky, let's do our, we're going to do our bios this time, is a Jewish educator specializing in Machsheva Israel. She lectures and has, had, has held a number of academic and administrative positions at various institutions in Jerusalem. She's currently working as a field advisor for YU's Wurtz Wireless School of Social Work in Israel. Well, I'll say that 10 times fast. She has published and lectured extensively on Jewish thought and other topics, as well as on issues of emotional health and the interaction between the two fields. Uh, I, I guess I'll say hello again. Hello, Rabbi Nibrowski. How are you doing? I asked you that. Okay, we're here with the Rav Johnny <laughs> Solomon. How are you, Rav Johnny? I am well, thank you. Baruch Hashem. Rav Johnny is a teacher at Matan and Midrash at Lindenbaum. He is an editor at Mosaic Press, as well as an independent editor and writing coach. And he is a virtual rabbi providing online spiritual coaching, halachic consultations, and one, one-to-one learning. Virtual rabbi doesn't mean he's a computer like a bot. It means, what does it mean, Johnny, to be a virtual rabbi? It means to, to be able to have online conversations with men, women, and couples around know, the does world. The word, does, you coined that term, virtual rabbi, right? It makes me think that like, I'm communicating with a, with a computer program, virtual rabbi. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, anybody who wants to give me an alternative title, feel online free to rabbi? write to me. Online rabbi? Web rabbi? I don't know. What yeah, do you think, Molly? Well, Virtual rabbi? Do you know what I'm saying? Every time I say virtual rabbi, hello, Johnny. Like, it makes me think of that movie, like, She, where the where there's, like, not a real person there. You know, like, there's, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. there are these Facebook... Is it the, who has the Webby Rebbe? Is that why? OU? The OU? OU Webby Rebbe. There was such a thing. I, I don't know. Like, you ever, you ever see that movie? You know, the movie about the, this guy falls in love with this, like, virtual personality that isn't real? Okay, poor Johnny. I think uh, the virtual rabbi is fine. No, no, no. No, on the contrary, the truth is, you know, I, I'm somebody who, the very fact that you put yourself out there is for, for people, well, for me, 
already kind of like a, a strange thing to do. I believe there's a need, and I do so with pleasure. But there, are, you know, the virtual rabbi can be interpreted as somebody who takes himself very seriously, somebody who takes himself not too seriously. I take the work that I do very seriously. But basically, it's one of those things where if somebody's interested, feel free to contact me. If you're not, that's totally no, fine. No, I, as well. I think what you do is amazing. And I'm, I know people reach out to you and they get a lot. And I was just thinking, I think I was thinking of booking you recently myself. But, um, but um, just, a, I don't know, the term virtual rabbi doesn't do it for me. Beyond this, anyway. Reach out to Johnny. <laughs> no, because you know what? You didn't use hashtag. It's a hashtag virtual rabbi. Also, you know, the idea of like, I know a lot of people who are virtual rabbis that call palms. themselves rabbi, but you're a real rabbi. You're not a virtual rabbi. Anyway, beyond this, Rabbi Johnny writes a daily thought on Dafyomi. <laughs> he produces a weekly online Chumash Rashishir and conducts online schmoozes and author interviews, which you can find on his YouTube channel. You will also probably find it on our feed. You'll find some of these conversations moving forward on this podcast feed. Hooray. I am Ruben Spalter. I'm the director of the Remo Name Teacher Training Program at the Herzog College in Israel. I am the Shoreshim representative at Sohar for English-speaking countries. That means I help people prove their Jewish status if they want to get married in Israel. Baruch Hashem. I'm the founder and director of Kitad.org, which creates online Jewish learning opportunities uh, for schools and families. And I'm the founder of the Mishnah Project, which teaches Mishnayomi to Jews in Hebrew and English around the world via YouTube. Okay. Yeah, you're right. We do a lot of things. All of us do a lot of things. Okay. With, with that in mind, with all that done, done with the pleasantries, this past Friday, the world, Israel learned right before Shabbat, and Chutzlar, they learned, uh, um, I guess, on Friday, of the passing of Harav Chaim Kanievsky. And here in Israel, especially, the entire country, literally, the entire center of the country shut down um, uh, for the funeral of Chaim Kanievsky, where... Half, somewhere above half a million people flocked to pay their final respects to, uh, to this great, great, great Gadol Batorah. Now, um, I will say, I'll start, um, at least from my personal perspective, the funeral and the, all of these events, they created a lot of mixed emotions, and I saw online a lot of people responded the same way. On the one hand, I think, obviously, we have Hakara, you have to recognize uh, the, the loss of a, of a great Gadol Batorah, someone who is a descendant of a scion, a family of great, of great Gedolim, um, the son of the stipler, correct? I just want to make sure I get it, uh, get it correct. The son of the stipler, the nephew of the Chazon Ish, a tremendous, tremendous Baki in Torah in his own light, by all accounts, a tremendous person and a tremendous individual. Okay? And, and I think that, I, I don't think, I think, I feel that Klai Yisrael suffered a great loss, and that's something that to marvel and something to respect. And even in the coverage in Israel and the way that people sort of responded to it, you know, th there was a certain understanding and respect and sort of, you know, tipping over the hat. If you didn't understand who this person was, you still appreciated in, in the media even that this was a great person that meant a lot to a lot of people. But on the other hand, I'll just share a story. My, my daughter came home the next day from school. And what they told her, what her teacher taught her, is she had a presentation, some kind of slideshow about Rab Chaim Kanievsky. And the thing that she remembered was a story where some, some soldier came to Rab Chaim Kanievsky and asked him, he wanted to be the Ramakal. And uh, so the, Rab Chaim Kanievsky said, are you a Kohen? And uh, he said, no. And he, he said, will I be the Ramakal? Are you a Kohen? No. And it turns out that... that uh, the person who was ultimately selected to be the Ramakal happened to have been a Kohen. And this was the proof that Rav Chaim Kanievsky operated with a certain level of Ruach HaKodesh, of, 
prophecy or spirituality and knew the future and could guide people. You know, I listened to this radio show called Common Lieberman, which I recommend highly if you understand Hebrew. You know, I listen to it in the morning, and it really gives me a, like, I, I, I like learning different things about Israeli society. And they had on the radio, they, they had a Chaver Knesset from, uh, what's the Lieberman's party's name? Chaver Knesset from, uh, um, Johnny, what's Lieberman's party's name? Yisrael uh, Beitenu. Not a religious person at all. And they, he's like, they asked him about uh, Rav Kanievsky, it was Sunday morning. And he said, yeah, I went once to have a Sheilat da Torah. What was the Sheilat da Torah? Should he go into politics or not? And they're like, you don't even believe in these things. What are you asking? What are you going to Chaim Kanievsky to ask a Sheilat da Torah? Like, what does that even mean? And he said, listen, you know, it comes a point where like, you, 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 you decide, you know, you have all these questions, you don't know how to answer. I, you know, he's a great man. I, would, I figured I'd ask him. Now, to Rav Kanievsky's credit, he didn't answer. He said, you have to decide on your own. He tried. But I have this, like, what, what, I, what happened? You know what I'm saying? What, what happened that a Gadol Batora stopped being a Gadol Batora and started becoming something entirely different for definitely Haredi society? People go for brachot and yiuts about questions that there's, there's no way they could sit with Rabbi Kanievsky. They didn't have the time. It was literally a second. You give a petek and he gives an answer. He couldn't know you, couldn't know anything about you. And, and I have this sort of like ambivalence about it. On the one hand, great, great admiration and respect for a tremendous gadol and that loss. But at the same time, a little bit of sort of, I think my feeling is bewilderment at what, 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 what seems to be something very different from that. So Johnny, I'll start with you. First of all, what was your response? And if you choose to, can you reflect on my bewilderment? Am I off? I'm happy of you to tell me, listen, you're off. That's what Chai Yisrael needs and it's all good or not. Okay, I mean, so I'm, I can only actually speak for me and, and reflect my feelings. Uh, I wrote my Daf Yomi on Motzei Shabbos and Sunday, making some kind of connection with uh, Rav Kanievsky, trying to quote a story and insight from him. I, I'm somebody who takes a very clear view that Torah is the binding agent of the Jewish people. You know, Rav Sajagon basically says that is the foundation of what it means to be a Jew. And as a result of that, uh, those who are beacons, who are ambassadors of Torah, uh, are people whom I admire, those who interpret Torah, and those who share it and, and lead others to grow in their respect for and love for Torah. And so the Jewish people lost somebody who was an ambassador. I wrote something quoting a story of the Chofetz Chaim, like a general in the army, uh, of the Jewish people, and for some people, really their general, the person they turn to uh, for all sorts of different guidance. And really that comes to your point. When it's your general, you turn to them not just for uh, the most obvious things, but they are your role model, they're, they're your mentor. And you turn to them sometimes for things beyond what you'd think is necessarily their obvious remit. Now, from a, a Jewish perspective, we have a tradition of of uh, Torah teachers, but we come from a tradition where we had priests and we had prophets, and those each had a certain measure of insight. We believed that that insight was gifted by God through their divine service, uh, and consequently, many people would argue, uh, and I think justifiably so, that somebody who dedicates himself to learning Torah um, 
with sincerity, um, is gifted with insight. And that insight is what they can share with others. Johnny, Johnny your question you, is... Do you believe that? The Gemara says, There's no Nevu anymore. Is there some kind of... Ins- do you believe that? Do you believe first, that if somebody first, learns... I mean, yeah, do you believe it? Right. First, first and foremost, people often uh, confuse what Ruach HaKodesh is with Nevuah. That's point number one. Third, thirdly, there's a third category called Siat Dishmaya. So do I believe it? Absolutely. Hmm. And I, I, I'm not saying this to, to please anybody uh, and anybody who's read what I say. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody claims to have that quality necessarily does. In fact, generally, someone who claims to have that quality, I would run a while from such a person. Because, you know, it's like those who say don't know and those who know don't say, right? So it's, it's those who are humble uh, and, uh, you know, approach their divine service, men and women, with sincerity. Uh, I believe they have insight. And I certainly have, have uh, seek, sought wisdom from men and women who I believe have dedicated themselves to Torah and to teaching and doing mitzvot, and I've sought advice from them. Do I feel, depending on my relationship with that person, will determine how binding or how uh, specific or, or what I should do in terms of what I hear from them, but somebody who has spent time as more more than the average person understanding the Ratzon Hashem, I believe is a good go-to person in terms of guiding others who want to know what is the Ratzon Hashem. Obviously, with the qualifiers being, I don't think it's Nevoah, uh, nor in certain cases do I think it's necessarily binding, and in some cases where there are other factors at play, such as medical matters, meaning there are all questions to do with security, I believe that Knowledge of that are prerequisites to give a responsible answer. Molly, I was talking to a friend of mine who noticed something very interesting. Like usually gedolim, what we call them gedolim, they're involved in leadership of Klai Yisrael in some kind of way. Their major poskim, their writings are influential in, in the world of thought. Rav Chaim Kanievsky was certainly a gadol, but he was none of those things. The books that he wrote, he wrote... 50 you know, works of Torah, but all of the works of Torah are, were, are on, I would say, very, almost all of them are esoteric, mm-hmm. academic, deep works of learning that represent great learning, but they're not, you know, he, he did write actually, interestingly, a commentary on Mishnah Berurah, but it's not studied in the, in the, in, in, in the you know, it's not studied in Yeshiva, it's really nobody really studies his Torah that I'm aware of in the, in the Beit Midbatei Midrash that I know of. If you do, it's because it, it's you came across it, you know, it's, it's, which is fine. I would even also note that other than a small select group of people in Bnei Brak, Rav Kanevsky wasn't really considered the Sar HaTorah until the passing of the last Gadol, which was Rav, Rav Steinman, I think it was. Or I think it was Rav Steinman four or five years ago. So what does it say about, about, it wasn't that he wasn't a Gadol, but he wasn't the go-to person and considered the gadol of the Jewish world. He wasn't, Johnny. That's just a fact. Until the passing but of the, the last the, gadol. But, but, the, but the point is that you're, you're, 
you're creating this framework that there has to be this singular voice. Uh, no, I'm not right? creating the framework. Uh, and it's like almost a competition. I just want to say, and I'm sorry for interrupting, That's but... Fine. Fine. Finally, uh, Johnny uh, interrupted. Uh, Run up a flag. No, no. <laughs> no first thing, I, 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 I want to make it clear. Sorry. And I already... No, that we're happy. Did it once, we're happy. He did it once and he apologized. Um, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Of course. We do it to him no, all that, the time. I mean, 115 yeah. episodes. <laughs> Mark the date. <laughs> you, but, you, but I just want to... Uh, clarify and, and, and disagree meaning his Torah uh, is ubiquitous in, in many many centers of learning and sparring with his insights and rulings are ubiquitous in Sfarim stores and Bate Midrashes and homes now it may well be uh, in Johnny you have a voluminous library. library what writings of, 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 of Chaim uh, do you have in your, in your house so, so, so I'll, I'll answer the following First, I can tell you that 20 years ago, there were many times when I was leafing through Sfarim of his and Sfarim stores, and Umanah, and I'll tell you why I didn't buy them. And it wasn't because they weren't in my hand, and I didn't Umanah. I happen to be, you know, I'm, I'm interested in Shalos of Chubas, and the k- kind of ways in which people transcribed his rulings, I didn't feel were reflected the kind of response I love to study. So it's on a personal preference, there are certain things which he wrote which didn't kind of uh, align with my particular areas of interest, but I can tell you, um, I, you know, I, I write something on Daf Yomi every day, and, that, and I don't just kind of think of something and stump start writing. I look to different mythology many, many times. I've uh, either deliberately or, or accidentally stumbled across insights from <clears> him, <throat> uh, from Svarim I have on my shelves, or from the kind of online databases I have access to. I'm simply saying... The, 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 some of these Sfarim are, are highly influential. If I want to study the Yerushalmi, there's no question. He is the go-to voice. Happens where I don't learn the Yerushalmi that much, but in, in many other areas of Psika as well. Meaning, just because his rulings aren't uh, quoted and his Sfarim aren't evident in some of the communities that the three of us may well frequent, his books have been very prevalent and very available for many years and very valued and uh and so they're not fringe they are normative they're solid they're important in their own unique way just as much well, as i don't minimize you know, any of that I, I if you think if you're not rz if you're more to the right and happen to be listening i would love to know in your bate midrash uh, i would like to know are you bate midrash um do, do they study the works of Rav Chaim? And it's not good or bad. It's just what it is. Some people study esoteric things and write more esoterically. It's not a criticism at all. Anyway, we're going back to my... It's not even esoteric, by the way. He, even his commentaries on the Chumash, they started translating some years ago. And, and, and you can buy his insights on, on Shmita, on, on the Parsha, in English already for the last four or five years. And those are translations of ideas he wrote for 10, 15 Johnny, I think you ago. just proved Meaning, my point. Because they, they started writing translations in English when they made him into the Saratar Mali. We have okay. to go to Mali. I'm All right. Sorry. So Mali's I just, because this is exactly really, I think you guys said, like the intersection of what you're saying is what I wanted to talk about. Because you had, um, you had, sp- I want to get to like, you had said like there's this tremendous um, appreciation in the country for this loss, but there's also maybe in the modern Orthodox world a sense, a little bit of sense of, di- of, 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 of distance or dissonance, it's it's not exactly the same as when, let's say, um, Ravavaja w- was Nifter, right? And so the question is, where does that alienation a little bit come from? And 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 I, I think there are two reasons. And one one reason I think 
does have to do with what you're saying. And I had this very interesting conversation with my husband where it was exactly this this thing. I like, why? Because I teach in MMY, right? And like MMY is a place that's like say center right. And so all I've heard for the past 20 years, well, maybe not 20, but certainly for the past 5, 10, 15, is who's the reigning gadol, especially, you know, like, you know, after Rav Yashiv and whatever, Rav Kanievsky. And my students are always like quoting Rav Kanievsky. And they're like, literally, there was a girl who did a paint the numbers of Rav Kanievsky. So in my mind, like, the, the, the gadol, the Sar HaTorah is Rav Kanievsky, Right. Um, and then I'm sitting with my husband, who's like, it's so interesting to me, this like sense that we've lost the Sar HaTorah when like Rav Kanievsky was not a person exactly making Ruby's argument. And he was, and I'm glad Johnny kind of jumped in and, and like, you know, explained the, that there, there was a lot of writing and, and, and Torah that Rav Kanievsky did publish. But so, and, and, but, with all due respect for all of that Torah, right? It's also true that again, it's not the same as Rosh Hashanah Zalman or 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 Rav Avadia, where their writings re- reached all communities and all populations. It wasn't and, just their writings; people would turn to yes, them and they, their entire and lives, and they molded they molded the Jewish community. Right, right. Started Shas, right? Like he was very clearly affiliated with a certain you know, population. No, but Molly, I'm but, not talking about Rabbi Vadia as a, as a political leader, as a postic. Yes, he, he, he was a postic for everybody. If you don't have, right. you know, his, his, if you don't have um, Rabbi Vadia's books on your shelf, you'd like, you, then like, ha, ha, you're not a person who understands how, you can't be, you know, you can't be taken seriously as a person. I'll who put down 500 shekel here to know that Johnny has books from Rabbi Vadia on his shelf. Of course, everybody does. Who, 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 <laughs> no, you can't, not, you can't go talk about it. Okay, but what's my point? So my so 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 my point is that I think that so when I was talking to my husband I was like but you don't get it because I, meaning the Haredi community needs a Sar HaTorah right and that's who he was and to me I personally and I think Johnny was kind of alluding to this I think there's something very beautiful about that I think meaning the idea that like we need a gadol. We need to appoint a gadol. And this is not taking anything away from Rav Kanievsky, but like we need to revere somebody. It's part of our ethos is that we revere somebody for his greatness in Torah. And I think that that's like having that as part of your religious ethos is really valuable. Now, we in the modern Orthodox world, Atilumi world, relate to that issue somewhat differently. We still have it. We have Hasei Lecharav. Right, we have the concept of das Torah. Maybe we relate to both those concepts differently than they do in the Haredi world. And there are like, you know, that's a, those are diff, those are maybe con, con, you know conversations for a different time. What das Torah means in each community, but the idea like of um, of revering of, of having someone that you look up to as a model as as um, to idealize, to have gadolim, right? The fact that, like, you know, Haredi kids have gadolim cards, and and you know, the concept What's the phrase? Uh, it, it, but we, we have that concept. So, Molly, I, I have to tell you, I agree with you. I I, I told you it was ambivalent because, uh, like, I was thinking to myself, like, we don't. Okay. Why don't we have that? And it's right. a fault in us on the one, one hand. So, so what I want but who are our gedolim? Where are right. like okay. when Rabbi so, Aaron Lichtenstein passed away? Oh. Like you know what I'm okay. saying? Okay, so uh, okay. Rabbi so Schechter, that, I, I yeah. guess. Like I look at Rabbi Ramon as a tremendous gadol. Listen, I but think, like not like that level. Not like we, we have. Like I, I, I do think. Well, that, that's again. I, I, I would just as a parent, parenthetical um, 
aside, I think we actually do have in the modern Orthodox world a lot of up-and-coming people who maybe aren't yet Gedolim, but it's like we always said we never had Gedolim, then we lost um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs and Rabbi Lamb and Rabbi, Rabbi Tversky all in like one year, and we were like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Where are all our Gedolim? We just didn't call them Gedolim yeah, we, at the we, time. One second. We but, never saw, Rabbi Sachs is a great rabbi, we okay. never saw him as a Gadol. We saw him as an Nechon. ambassador. We saw him as a preacher. Nechon. We saw him as so, a leader. So that's, not as a Gadol in the sense of like a Gadol. I agree, and, and that's an interesting conversation about why modern orthodoxy doesn't do this and doesn't have this. But what I'm saying, what I want to just stay on Rabbi Konevsky for a second. What I'm saying is, I think that there's something very beautiful and very admirable about the fact that the Haredi world does have it and they have such a need for it that they will always put somebody in that slot. Now, your question about why don't we in the modern Orthodox world view of Konevsky that way, I think I think that there are two reasons for it. One is because he didn't do anything that touched our world the way Rav Avadja did and the way Rav Shlomo Zalman did and the way in his time um, Rav Moshe Feinstein did, right? Meaning these are people who were who were from the Haredi world, but they overlapped into the modern Orthodox world because they were they overlapped into all, um, as you said, they were leaders of, in the Jewish world in 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 Pesach Halacha and even I would say in terms of uh, so sociological leadership. And and Rav Kanievsky was not that, so that's one reason. The other reason, which is really interesting, I think, is um, and this also Johnny had wanted to raise, is that I think that. Um, the more the modern Orthodox world kind of, or let me not, not modern Orthodox, because I'm now thinking about Israel, the Datilumi world comes into its own in terms of developing its own ideology and becoming firmer and stronger about its own ideology, the more the distinctions between the Haredi leadership and its ethos and the Datilumi leadership and its ethos becomes clear, right? So Johnny had wanted to um, allude to a point by I think all of our good friends, certainly my good friend, Rabbi Alex Israel, where, where Rav Alex mourned the loss of Rav Kanievsky, but he said, you know, like the leadership, the Haredi leadership during Corona was so foreign to who I am that I feel a gap. I feel a gap between like, you know, Rav Kanievsky's kind of perspective and my perspective. And that makes it, that makes me feel a slight alienation. And I think that like that, that sense is not necessarily a bad thing, right? That sense that like, you know what? I can admire the Haredi world. I can admire their their passion for Torah and their reverence for their Sar HaTorah. And I can also now say with respect, you know, not everything about their Gedolim is the same as the messages that my leadership um, or my derech holds, and that's okay. Right. And, and, and I think for me, the ideal is, is not to be like, oh, so therefore, like, I don't revere the Haredi Gedolim um, or the opposite. I have to revere the Haredi Gedolim and like have to shut myself up when I don't agree with them. But rather to like come to a place where we're able to say, like, we're very proud of the Datilumi world. We're very proud of our leaders. I think, you know, back to your question again, I think there were. As you said, Rev Ramon, I, I, I love I, Rev Shurla, Rev Tamir Granot. A lot of these people are very young, but like I don't know, like like there's so many people who are who are starting to um, really influence the the Datilumi world from a religious perspective. Rev Stav, right, who we were lucky enough to interview. Rev Dov Zinger, Rev Dov, right? There, there's so there, there are. We're not. We just have to stop having our own complexes and say, you know, 
Charenim, you're awesome. We, we think you're awesome and we admire the things about you. We also admire the things about ourselves. And we're willing to not only critique you, but to listen to your critiques of us to make ourselves better and to be very com- confident and comfortable in who we are. And in that way, kind of, it's not a competition and it's not a, um, you know, like a, you, 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 can, you can kind of um, erase all of that, like, which world is better thing? And just be like, this is my world. Here are the strengths of my world. Here's what I admire about your world. And, 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 and kind of, you know, come to it from, like a, from that kind of a positive approach. Okay. I want to I come back to Haredim Awesome. Johnny also wanted to comment. First, we'll take our quick break, learn about being a virtual rabbi, and, uh, and uh, come back right after this. Stay with us. Do you know a family looking to enrich their children's Jewish learning? Some families cannot send their children to private Jewish day school. Many Jewish parents today homeschool, but still need a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. Kita is the online Jewish classroom for families. Built for Jewish families looking for serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive three Khan Academy-style lessons each week and also participate in a weekly Zoom lesson. Students in Kita this year are learning Chumash Bamidbar, Mishnah Sukkah, and Gemara Brachot, and we're soon starting a new course in Navish Mual Aleph. Students can join some of the courses or all of them. Now is a great time to try our Kita. Don't wait for the fall and lose another half year of critical Torah skills and learning. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Okay, we're back. Molly, um, I know Johnny wanted to respond, but before Johnny responds, I feel like I kind of want to respond. I don't know if you saw it. Somebody shared it to me. I saw it on Facebook, a post by, by Rob Nassan Slifkin, who is very, very sharp. You, know, you didn't see it. Didn't. I'll send it to you in the chat. Yeah. Johnny, did you see it? Okay. I think I did. Didn't I share it? Um, no. Anyway. Okay. I don't think you did. Okay. I'll share it. I'll share it. You can read it while I'm talking. He has, but he, he wrote it. You can find it on his blog. He said three, there was from. a funeral for three people on Sunday. The first was the Godot of Chaim Ganievsky. And that is a tremendous loss for Klal Yisrael. He said the second is a creation, a Hasidic Rebbe, that Rav Chaim Kanievsky was made into. And this is something I, I, I think, I, I don't know if you guys felt. You, you talk about the alienation of Corona, the images of his grandson sort of like mumbling in his ear yeah. and him sort of mumbling something back. And you never really, really had any idea of what he said. And you never really had any idea if he had a sense of what they were asking him. And... and and the sort of manipulation of what now is coming out to be this incredibly pure man mm-hmm. who just wanted to sit and learn and be left alone. That was really all he cared about. It's something that it's not just foreign to me. It seems, it seems perverse to me. And, and I'm wondering two things. The first thing I'm wondering is, when did Gedolim turn into, when did the whole Haredi world turn into the, having the need, not for Gedolim, they always had Gedolim, but for having Rebbe's. 
mm-hmm. having sort of these mystical Hasidish Rebbe's who will give them guidelines and tell them what to do without even knowing who they are. Because I mean, that's what Hasidim do. Like I once had a conversation with the Gerach Hasid and they believe that the Gerach Rebbe has Ruach HaKodesh. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. these things have melted. That's on the one hand. And how is it that they stand the use of their gedolim for fundraising and for, you know, for money and for political power and they can, they can stand having the grandson whispering in his ear and all of the things that seem so, so distasteful to, to the average observer and to be honest to the secular public as well. Like, when did that happen and how, could, how did that become okay? John, I know you don't want to answer that. You wanted to respond. So you don't even have to answer that if you don't want to. But it made me, the whole thing made me uncomfortable. Okay, so let, let me respond to Mali and then I'll gladly address at least some of the points you made. Where I was feeling a little uneasy when Mali was speaking is, you know, I, I first and foremost, when we, I've always made it clear that there is not one singular religious Zionist world, the religious Zionist worlds, and I want to be very clear that there are Haredi worlds. Mm-hmm. I often find, I'm very frustrated when people speak about the Haredi world as if it's a singular thing. That's ridiculous. Uh, and, uh, and truth be told, I think it's insulting to huge numbers of people who often have very, very different ways of looking at the world and relating to modernity. And once one makes such a singular brushstroke about, you know, a vast population, that speaks volumes about a lack of understanding of the nuances therein. That's point number one. Point number two is, while ideologies significantly differ, and I'm very, very clear about my ideology, about modernity and about Israel, etc., I think I'm very transparent what I said before and what I wrote a couple of days ago is that Torah is where I don't draw ideological camps. Meaning, if you want to have a conversation about Israel, I know people are going to disagree. If you want to have a conversation about even uh, study uh, of secular subjects and, and, and how we balance work and learning, I, I know that people are going to disagree. But the one area where I don't draw distinctions, where for me it's absolutely essential, that doesn't matter what a person calls themselves, or what even I see, is in the Bet Midrash, or the virtual Bet Midrash, when dealing with Torah. That's where those differences should melt away. And, and I've endeavored to do that, and I'll just briefly tell you a story, and then I'll come back to uh, 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 Reuven's point. Uh, years and years ago, when I was even still in yeshiva, I was asked to, to basically be, a, I don't know if I've told this story before, but basically be a madrich taking less observant kids to gates at yeshiva to introduce them to a world that was unfamiliar to them so i was kind of the boy who'd been in yeshiva and come out and i was in university so i understood a little bit of that yeshiva world and i was taking these less observant young men and women who were going for a weekend to gateshead and gateshead basically were prepared to open their door and be very welcoming and show great hospitality and this is a program that uh, carried on for quite some years and I remember the first time I was sitting in Gates of Yeshiva Beit Midrash, and they were really, really so generous in, in showing uh, kindness to their guests. They made sure the boys were able to sit in the front row and the girls as well. It was, it was lovely. Um, but I was sitting there, and I'd just come back from Karen Biavna a year or two previously. And I wondered, how do I see myself here? Like, do I see myself as being lesser than or different than? And there are certain worldviews that I don't share with some of the Bokram here. But I said, one second, they're learning Gemara. I know how to learn Gemara. I mean, a bit me trash. Just open the book and learn. Meaning, it became a, a really important shita for me, which is, when I'm in base Madrash, 
I draw no distinction. Someone who wants to learn with me, great. If they don't want to, that's fine too. But the Torah's ours, right? I am an equal shareholder in Torah PLC. And, and for me, that's imperative. And if people don't feel that way, that speaks volumes about how these, they see themselves. So in terms of Rav Kanievsky, he was a Torah teacher, okay? And if I'm an equal shareholder in Torah PLC, then I should realize that there's a loss. I may not have seen the world exactly as he did in certain areas, but through my love of Torah, I should feel a certain measure of loss, um, although I may not have necessarily seen him as a Rebbe. And let me just now turn on to that point. He, he was a Torah scholar, but perhaps less of a Rebbe. But now you ask the question of, you know, when did it happen that, that a Talmud Chacham became a Rebbe? Now, first and foremost... This isn't unique to Rav Kanievsky when Rav Avadji was old. You know, there are also whisperers in his ear. Uh, there are certain other Abonim who we didn't see that, of course, people like Rav Soloveitchik. He was hidden from view where he was so vulnerable. But nevertheless, it's not unique to a singular person. And obviously, it's... Uh, Johnny, right maybe that's the answer. That's the beginning. Maybe Rav Avadji, that's exactly the point. Rav Avadji was that may- necessary as a political figure. As a leader of a movement, Rav Soloveitchik was hidden away because they cared about his kavod, yeah, and about his personal they never, kavod. They never that, quoted things in the name of Rav Soloveitchik during that time. They didn't, you know. I, I understand. There, there, there are, yeah, there are reasons the for this. Exactly, that's exactly my question. Why did they go to the 90-year-old? Always the 90-year-old. Go to the 65-year-old. Okay, yeah, so I want to now answer. They never do that until you're at least 87. That's what, it's know. unbelievable. The they go so, to people. Yeah. I, one perceives that so, they go to people they can control. Okay. That they can. Do. So let I'm not. I'm not. Di- I'm not disputing the possibility of abuse in that relationship. I'm not, I'm not saying that didn't happen. I. I you know. I, certainly, from a from the media perspective, very much there was lots of manipulation. Uh, from my perspective, there occasionally appeared to be that way, but I don't know. I wasn't in the room, and therefore I've got to be very careful in terms of how I judge things from an outsider perspective. But I want to just briefly mention a Gemara. And a Gemara as interpreted by Rav Cook. You know, so if you want to talk about, you know, religious Zionist credentials, that makes sense. You know, there's a beautiful idea, actually, which talks about how we deal with the elderly. And, and it, was, it was generally regarded that Rav Kanievsky was perfectly capable of holding his own in Torah till his last days. That, that was made clear, meaning if a person has, unfortunately, unable to, you know, have their faculties, that's... That may all be understandable. It was argued that he was very much with his faculties till his last days and just made us see him on basically the whole of the Torah. But even if that weren't to be the case, which I'm not suggesting is the case here, there's a famous, you know, reality we had in the Mishkan. What was in the Aaron, right? The Gemara basically tells us that the broken luchas were kept in the Aaron. And the question is why? And the Gemara basically tells us that teaches us a lesson at how we treat the elderly when they perhaps have lost aspects of their faculties, which I'm not suggesting happened here. I'm saying this is a general rule. What does Rav Cook say in his commentary in, in Ayer on that point? He says, there, when a person's old, they have two things. They have their, what they know and their memory. They also have their life experience. You know, Rav, Chaim, Rav, Rav Yaakov Kaminetsky there came a point where he said, I can't pass him, but I can still give Eitzah. Meaning, I'm still wise, even if I'm not so on-point knowledgeable. And that's a distinction which I think is super important. Sometimes you go to an old person, and they may not necessarily have that same measure of recall, 
they, they nevertheless have, in many cases, though obviously not all, uh, a recollection of life experience enough for them to be a baleitza. And that's part of Torah. So if you say, where do we get this idea that you go to people who in some instances may not have fully their faculties, we still ask advice. I say, You know, No, come on, Johnny. It's a beautiful vart. It's a beautiful vart. I, I, of course you go for Eitzah, but you don't appoint that person as the undisputed leader whose words on people will, like literally will be life and death about whether you open communities or close communities and you don't even... That, 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 that's like beyond ridiculous. And, 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 I, wait, and I'm not, I'm not disputing you, Gemara, Johnny, The Gemara explicitly states that you don't have a zakin muflag on the Sanhedrin. There's an age beyond which a person shouldn't sit in judgment of other people. The Gemara says it. A hundred percent. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. Okay, so, so that's, that's <laughs> a conversation that to be had. there's a retirement age that should give the guy a break? He wants to learn in his retirement? Like, it makes me sad. It really makes me sad. Molly, interrupt. Okay. First of all, I just want to say that... Um, Johnny, I do. I, I don't want to get the impression that I don't agree with, didn't agree with you about the idea that. Um, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, that we should view ourselves as all being in the same camp when it comes to Torah, and that like you, you, you know that that like um, therefore when when a gadol b'Torah dies, we should consider that part of our own loss uh, as part of Klal Yisrael. I, I agree with that one hundred percent. The point that I was making, which I don't think you disagree with, is that. And again, and I'm going to bring it back to, to Ruby's question, which is we can be comfortable saying that we have different values and approaches when it comes to um, maybe issues of Das Torah, maybe, um, you know, even like what we admire in a Gadol, what qualities we're looking for in a Gadol. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like and again, I feel like... Um, a hundred percent. You know, like I, I just always remember the story. Of, again, it's. I think that's. We should have a drinking game every time I quote Rebbelchenstein on this podcast. Somebody should have to take a shot. But um, <laughs> that'd be a fun game. <laughs> it would be a fun game. <laughs> but uh, you know, Rebbelchenstein after Rebbelchenstein always wanted a gadol. He always he he had this philosophy that you know, say the if he needed a rebbe. Um, and so after you know, after the rub, it was of Shlomo Zaman Orbach. And after and the, the story goes that after Shlomo Zaman was nifter, he felt kiyatom ve'in lo av, and he went to dif- different gedolim, and he said they were tr- they could be, have been tremendous. And I'm not talking about specific people at all. I don't want to you know, but they could be tremendous gedolim in Torah, and tremendous have tremendous knowledge, but they were they were lacking a certain um, depth of let's say personality or an ethical perspective that that he was looking for in his rebbe, and he didn't feel. Um, again, it could be that there were people that he did go to for specific shilas that I'm not, so I don't, I don't want to, you know, be really, you know, anybody to kind of make assumptions that people that I'm talking about are not talking about, but the idea that like, we, we do, we might have a different approach to, to, to a lot of hashkafic and sociological realities in the Haredi world. And that's okay. Right. So, so like, I, I agree with Ruby. I think that like, the way that 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 Rav Kanievsky was used, and I do think he was used at the end. Um, I don't know enough about it, so I'm certainly not putting myself as an expert. Is That's not, our perception. The perception. The perception that we of the way that 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 he was used and followed um, is not the way that 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 we think um, is ideal. Let's put it that way. And we're we're okay saying that, and it doesn't diminish our respect for him. And again, I'm going to go back to saying it doesn't diminish from our ability to see the positives in the Haredi world 
while at the same time we can talk about our respectful differences with the Haredi world. And I think that when we get to a place where we can all talk that way and, and, and really see the positives and, and, and also respectfully disagree, but respectfully disagree, I think we'll be in a much stronger place. And by the way, you, I, I don't, I also, I'm not a sociologist. Your question, Ruby, is a, is a great one about like It's when, a sociological question. When, yeah, it really when, is. You know, so like I, I once gave a shear on Das Torah. Right. So like, you know, you know, so, so the, so the Hatadia has this like, you know, basically um, Chuva, essentially, where he says, Rebonisholam, why are people asking me questions like, you know, about he says there are a lot of shilas that you should come to me. And as Johnny said, Baal Eitzah is reasonable. But like you're asking me questions that are not in my you shouldn't be asking me. These, these are questions for you to decide for yourself. Right. So like the whole question of like, what is Das Torah? What questions you ask, um, you know, what what things are in your what, what things should you be taking responsibility for? It's a, it's a great See, it's, question. It's really it's interesting because one gets question. a sense, Molly, sociologically, people wanted to have the sense that there's some guy yeah. that I'm he's one, in he's in right. control and right. I don't have to worry about it. And I think it. It. You know listen, what I'm saying? I, when I, again, I'm not a sociologist. And he's a great man. Be, he's a great man, and I put my trust by, in him. I'd love it's to be like, corrected by a historian, but my gut would be like you're right. Like certainly, like in Hasidus, this is the Rebbe, right? I'm wondering whether this is a post-Holocaust phenomenon, right, where, where you have, um, you know, a society that feels very, very um, orphaned. And the, the need, you know, like the, the, the desire to feel like you have a, a spiritual father and a spiritual leader, especially think of all the turbulence that, 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 like the Holocaust, like you, you wipe out a third of the Jewish people. You wipe out um, all, like the base of, of Torah learning and of, and of Jewish communities, and you're building from nothing. You have to figure out what the heck you do with this bizarre phenomenon of the return to the Jewish state after 2,000 years, right? What, what a time of confusion. I, I don't think it's upheaval. Holocaust. I think it's much more recent. I, I really have I, that I, perception. It's saying, much, much I, more all, recent. I also think about like, when I, when I think about the difference between the modern Orthodox world and the Haredi world, where again, Dati Lumi and Haredi, I think that the, that the Haredi world's focus is on rebuilding what they lost. And the Dati Lumi focus... They're so far beyond rebuilding. One second, I think one it's second. really... The Dati Lumi focus is on building time. something new here. And so, like, when you start revering, right, you, 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 you're like... You're dressing the way they dressed in Europe. And again, I also want to say that I think Johnny's point is very well taken. The Haredi world is not a monolith at all. And there's so much on the spectrum. But again, like... You're trying to rebuild something. You also want to rebuild that sense. You've idealized that world so greatly. You want to rebuild that sense of like there's a there's a there's a shofar of 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 like Hakadosh Baruch Hu into the world through my leader, through my Rebbe. Do they go maybe too far? Maybe in my humble opinion, I would say yes, which is why I'm in a different world and I make different choices. And again, I, I, I think I think that you're you're idealizing their idealism of the, of Europe, interestingly. I think it's much more recent. I don't know if it's about the Holocaust. The Holocaust is related to everything, obviously, in the Jewish world. Right. I think that it has a lot more to do with a reaction to the secular world and the people that they prompt as leaders and that they say are their movie stars or the people that they venerate. And they say, you've got your people that we venerate. And you worship too, and they're popular, and we have ours, and ours represent something totally different than yours. I don't know. I'm, it's, it's something I, I don't have an answer, but it could it's be. But I also want to say head. one more thing, which is like I, I, I do want to say, like I think. And by the way, I think that's not a bad thing. I think yeah, it's an amazing thing. I, I think that you know? we are we are lacking in this, right? Yeah. I mean, again, my yeah. yeshiva, my friends who are I don't know if they're you know yeshiva slash Haredi, 
there's like no question that they that they have a, a rav for themselves. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like whether it's Rav Asher Weiss or, or, or there, there, there are a million people that they, they, they but like they, they really believe in this idea. A and sense maybe of it, submission. I would call it a sense of submission. submission. It's like a sense of reverence. It's a sense of the idea that as Johnny said before that it's clear that a person who learns a lot of Torah is going to be a receptacle of wisdom, right? And if you're going to tell me that like maybe sometimes, as I said before, if Aaron felt like, but you know, that the Torah can't just be like an autodidactic type of information it has to also be about personality which i think in Rafaim Kanievsky's case is clearly true but maybe sometimes people feel like if you're going to totally you know block yourself off from the secular world then then maybe you're limited in that area okay so that's a fair critique and then find yourself a gadol you feel is a little bit more open but like you know i, I think we we do need to learn that i think we do need to learn that from the Haredi world totally agree johnny I want to share two anecdotes. One relates to what Mani said, and one actually just perhaps is a useful perspective for some of our listeners. Just a couple of days ago, uh, a, a prospective mother called me for a variety of halachic questions utterly unrelated to anything. And then right at the end, uh, uh, she said, you know, I'm expecting, please God. And she said, you know a rabbi that I can go to to approve the names of my, please God, son or daughter? And I, I said, I, I can make some suggestions with pleasure. I said, but you should know. Just by the way, I never did that. Uh, and I believe strongly in the Siata Dishmaya that parent has when they choose the name of a child. I believe that there is divine assistance, but a person should have confidence that they can be receptacle of it. And it's not just the person with the big hat and the big beard or the no hat and the short beard, whatever it is, right? Now, the question really is, do we, and here, here I'm speaking we, people in the religious Zionist modern Orthodox world, actually give ourselves a confidence that we can be receptacles of insight, of wisdom, of understanding? Because if we don't, there's a very clear reason why we turn to other people who are constantly being highlighted and celebrated as being receptacles of that. So here you had somebody who was who's actually quite traditional, but not much more than that, who was looking for somebody else to be the decider of their child's name. And I said, you can do that and I will help you, but know that I believe you can do it yourself. I believe, I believe you should have faith in your own decision-making. Uh, you know, there's a beautiful piece by Rav Amital about independence in decision-making, and I felt it was a really important message to share, especially as this person was about to become a parent for the first time. That's story number one. But I want to tell you a story completely different. I was in, uh, I'll mention the place because actually it's, be it's a beautiful story. I was in Midrash at Lindenbaum yesterday. I, I oversee an open bet Midrash and there are uh, American students and Israeli students. And basically I'm there to answer any questions that may arise. And there was an Israeli student who I don't know who was studying assiduously the first page of Mishnaburah, writing down some things. Uh, for a while, she seemed very much focused and didn't need any assistance. But then she finished. I, I asked her, kind of, what are you doing? Is it, you know, any, any, uh, can I help in any which way? And, and she said the following. She said, you know, Kanievsky just passed away. And she'd heard how Kanievsky had written, you know, summaries of the Mishabura or, you know, Sikumim or things like that. And she said, it really inspired me. And she said, I wanted to try and do it myself. And she started doing, uh, doing so. 
and this is somebody who doesn't, in at least in, in any best understanding of my imagination, identify as being part of the or a Haredi community, but she was inspired by by the endeavor, by the commitment, by the absolute loyalty, by the immersion of Chaim Kanievsky and what he represents in Torah. And as somebody who's learning Torah, she was moved by doing so. And uh, and, I, and I, then I mentioned to her, by the way, you know, you're studying the Mishnah Brewer. I don't know if you know, a few years ago, a, a video was found of the Chavitz Chaim. You know, a video was found in the archives of the Knesset Gdola, and when it came out about four or five years ago, it went round, and it, I watch it regularly. It's just a beautiful thing, just kind of seeing in action the Chavitz Chaim, who until that point was just an image. She said, I had no idea. I took up my, my phone, I shared it to her, standing in the, in the Lindemann Bet Midrash. She'd just been studying the Mishnah Brewer, and, and she was totally overcome. We, we, I think we don't do enough of emphasizing that that emotional engagement, that inspiration of learning, not inspiration in addition to learning. She was inspired, and that's why she was doing what she was doing. And maybe one of the reasons we're even having this conversation is that we don't do that enough in the modern Orthodox religious Zionist world, and that's why people turn to those G'dayim for name-choosing, and they're lifted when they just hear a story of Chani Kanievsky. It's not to say that other people in the religious Zionist world don't learn seriously, but we often don't talk that talk and tell those stories in that way, and I believe we should. Agreed. Molly, wrap us up. Yeah, I just want to end with one point that I think we all were thinking about, but so I'm going to make it in all of our names, which is that I think we were all touched by um, the fact that the way the, the way Israeli society in general responded to this particular Leviah, right? For all our talk about the, the different worlds and, and, you know, how different people responded, I think that the the awareness within large Israeli society that a um, Sar Batorah, right, had passed away and that that was meaningful for a tremendous amount of the population and the respect given to that in Israeli society was quite moving and I think quite a sign of the times, right? And some examples are the way it was covered on the Israeli news that I remember again when, when, when Ravaja Yosef passed away and, and like... The coverage was like, wait, what's going on? And who is this person? And like, you know, like, I forgot what day it was, but there was a day when like thousands of people were in Kevarajo and like it was not reported on in the news at all. And the fact that like these... Well, this time, Ali's just, no, they shut down, literally, okay, they, they shut, shut down, down the center of Israel. Narcots. But instead of saying, like, there was like, one... And people, 100%, no, and people couldn't go to work. They shut down the entire There was one ugly article in Haaretz. Besides right, right, for that right. one ugly I agree article you. in I agree Haaretz, with you. Most, most responses most were very respectful. was incredibly respectful um, I think not just respectful, but like the, a, a, admiring of what was happening. If you did, you guys see the like um, the um, there was a, so, the, a, a, a a soccer game between uh, yeah, it, I saw it. right. So like both sides had these big signs that said like Anachnu Koavim et Moto Shel Sar HaTorah Hagaon or whatever it said. Rav Chaim Kanievsky and the the, the soccer, soccer players game. they wore black armbands. The soccer players, right? <laughs> so you could think that's funny, but it's it's actually quite beautiful, and I think that that again, there's, we, there's a beauty to it. But that I just it really it, it 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 speaks to me a little bit, sort of the. I really think of it this way. Maybe it's crass. I hope it's not crass. I'm not trying to be crass. Like the movie starization of of a gado. Okay, meaning so they don't. Then, do you understand movie. what I'm saying? And that's interesting Ashrenu, in and of itself. Ashrenu, right, right. that in this country, right? The our movie star and and and. I think that, that that's true. Like, as you said before, like, like the, I think Ashrenu, that, that Israelis, 
even if they if that's not their movie star they there's something about the fact that for somebody that's a movie star is very moving to them and i think that's something very beautiful about israeli society and i think that like again we're seeing this this like wash of traditionalism and masora over the country and i think that phenomenon like this could not have happened five years ago ten years ago and i think i i think that's a good thing Okay, I think we, Johnny, you wanted to say something. I was going to. Uh, you, you mentioned movies. So I just, I just want to mention an, an interesting thing I read some years ago. You may well know that I started in the Montefiore uh, Carlyle, and then some years later, I was reading some book about European Jewish history, and it informed me that many Jewish homes in Europe uh, used to have a picture of Moses Montefiore. Why? Because if you live in the 19th century and things are lousy to you, you have a picture of somebody who can fix it. He was basically the, almost, shall we say, the Jewish Batman. Like, mm-hmm. you, when there was a problem, <laughs> so Moses was going to fix song? it. You know, when he was 80, when he yeah, was 90, when, when he was 100, he was 115, all the things he did. That's exactly that song. Right. So, but but that when there was a time when our movie star was a person who had to save us from persecution. Now we can live in a time and in a state where the movie star isn't somebody who has to kind of save us, but it's somebody who can lift us and inspire us. And I think that speaks volumes about where many, Baruch Hashem, of the Jewish people are at. Obviously not all. And right now there's a war going on and our hearts pain for the, you know, the situation of so many people. But for the majority of Jews... Our movie star can be a god of Torah. It doesn't need to be somebody who's going to fix us from persecution. That tells us a lot about actually the growth of the, the Torah population over the last hundred years. Okay, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you very much. I want to thank you guys for this uh, unscripted conversation. It is unscripted. We do you know, respond to one another. It's one of the things I love about this. I didn't know what you would say. and learned a lot from you guys. So thanks very much. To our listeners, you can find us on Facebook, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast feed. People have reached out to us on Facebook through WhatsApp with their responses, and we're happy to, uh, to, uh, to learn of your thoughts and to think about what you have to say and to, and to respond to it as well. You can find us on the usual places. I want to thank Molly. I want to thank Rob uh, Johnny. Molly with Johnny. I want to thank my son, Patachia, for writing our music. Have a good week, everybody.